Do you know what idolatry is? It's to put anything or anyone in the place where God belongs. To elevate anything to a place in your life that's equal to God is to abandon Him as being worthy of your worship. Whenever you do that, you invite disaster. Ezekiel saw this very plainly, and so should we. Stephen's going to help you today as he continues the wisdom journey with this lesson called Tragedy in the Temple. Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, once wrote more than 500 years ago, anything you give your heart to and put your trust in is really your God. Now, the average person on the street isn't going to view himself as an idol worshiper. They're not going to like the idea of them being called an idolater. But let me tell you, if money or pleasure or a career or a hobby takes precedence over worshiping the Lord, either privately or on the Lord's day, well, you might very well qualify as an idolater. Now, I know that's pretty strong language. But I want you to hang on. Don't, don't turn the channel. Let me, let me actually add to the challenge. It's possible to be involved in religious activities, but have nothing to do with God. You see, the Lord through Ezekiel is going to show the exiles why Jerusalem needs to be destroyed, how foolish it is for them to trust in Jerusalem instead of himself. Remember, the Lord is attempting to move the exiles toward repentance. Well, now, here in chapters 8 through 11, Ezekiel is given a vision. The Lord appears as a brilliant, human-like figure who transports Ezekiel, now in this vision, back to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, this vision sweeps him into the inner court of the temple there in Jerusalem. Verse 3 of chapter 8 says this, Ezekiel sees the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. Well, this image of jealousy is an idol. More than likely, it was the image of the goddess Asherah. She was supposedly uh, the mistress of Baal, we're told back in 2 Kings chapter 21. Well, now verse 4 says that Ezekiel sees the glory of the God of Israel. Well, this is a physical manifestation of the Lord's presence appearing now as a, as a bright cloud. So, obviously, we've got a problem here. The glory of God isn't going to share any space in the temple with an idol. And to make matters worse, verse 10 tells us that Ezekiel sees engraved on the wall all around every form of creeping things. In other words, The people are now worshiping animals instead of the creator, that in all. Verse 11 tells us that 70 men are burning incense in honor of these animals. Verse 16 adds that outside in the courtyard, there were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun. So here's what they've done. They've they've effectively turned the temple grounds into a circus of idolatry. 
Well, with this vision before his prophet, the Lord now says here in verse 18, Therefore I will act in wrath. I'll bet God will. He's he's going to move in divine judgment. And the Lord begins to spell out what that looks like here now in chapter 9. The Lord says in verse 1, Bring near the executioners of the city. And with that, six men in this vision appear with weapons, along with a seventh dressed in linen, who, according to verse 2, has a a writing case at his waist. This seventh man goes through Jerusalem, and he's he's marking the foreheads, verse 4 says, of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in the city. In other words, these are the faithful followers of the Lord who remain in the city, and they're groaning about the idolatry taking place. They're going to be spared by God. Ezekiel is devastated by what he sees, of course, but the Lord reminds him here in verse 9, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. Well, indeed, God isn't going to share any of his glory with an idol. Now, in the midst of this vision, verse 3 tells us, the glory of the God of Israel had gone up to the threshold of the house, where this glory cloud represents uh, the presence of God, and now God is moving toward the entrance of the temple building. God is effectively leaving. He's departing. Chapter 10 records this departure here in verse 1. The cherubim uh, reappear. The cherubim, remember, are those mighty angels who are always associated with God's presence, God's glory. Verse 18 tells us, the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim, the cherubim's rather strange-looking chariot of wheels, you might remember, is now transporting the Lord, as it were, toward the east gate of the temple. He is symbolically departing now from the temple and from Jerusalem. And let me tell you, this is a tragic day. This is a sad moment in the history of Israel. The Lord is had warned uh, Moses hundreds of years earlier in Deuteronomy 31 that there would come a time when the people of Israel would forsake him for other gods. Well, that tragic time has come. They've abandoned God. Here they are in here worshiping Mother Earth. They're worshiping the animals. They're worshiping the, you know, the eagle and the river and the stars and the planets. Well, now God abandons them to the consequences of their idolatry. Now, here in chapter 11, Ezekiel is going to prophesy judgment against the 25 princes. These are the leaders of Judah. Verse 2 describes these political leaders as the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in the city. Well, they're going to they're gonna receive even stricter judgment from God for their immoral and ungodly influence over their city. This is a timeless truth, by the way, to this day. Leaders, religious, political leaders are going to stand before God to answer not only for their, you know, their term in office, so to speak, which they might have used to defy God, but more importantly— They're going to answer for the influence they had in leading people away 
from God. Let me tell you, if you're a judge, if you're a school board member, if you're a civic leader, if you're a business leader, if you're a professor, a pastor, a politician, a teacher, let me tell you, as far as God is concerned, your influence is going to invite even greater inspection from God himself one day. In fact, the Apostle James gave this warning in James chapter 3 and verse 1 when he said that not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, greater influence invites greater inspection. Frankly, that's Ezekiel's message to these false teachers and false religious leaders here. As he says in verse 6, you have multiplied your slain in this city and have filled its streets with the slain. He says in verse 11, I will judge you. The end result, verse 12, you shall know, that is, you're going to find out one day that I am the Lord. Now, as we've seen often in these prophecies, in the midst of these judgments, the Lord gives a ray of hope. Here in verses 14 to 20, with repentance for the exiles as his goal, God promises to protect them even where they've settled down in Babylon. He promises them a future return to the promised land. God also promises here a spiritual awakening. You see, this prophecy looks far out into the future, all the way to the coming reign of Jesus Christ on earth, when God's chosen people, Israel, turn, which they will turn in repentance there at the end of the tribulation period. They're going to return as an entire nation and receive the Messiah who's returning to earth. In fact, verse 19 has this promise from the Lord. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, that moment is the fulfillment of the new covenant Jeremiah spoke of back in chapter 31. Ezekiel's going to speak about it again over in chapter 36. We'll get there. But one day the nation will turn to the Lord. The nation that crucified him in his first coming, well, they're going to follow the king when they crown him at his second coming. Well, now Ezekiel's vision shows us here that the glory of the Lord is now ascending from Jerusalem, leaving Jerusalem. And notice specifically, he's leaving from the Mount of Olives, verse 23 says, on the east side of the city. Let me tell you something exciting. We're told in the Bible that Jesus Christ one day uh, returns, and, and where does he touch down? Right here on the Mount of Olives, to the same place where God's glory ascended, Jesus Christ, our glorious God and Savior, will descend one day. He's going to touch down on this same spot on the Mount of Olives. Now listen, the question is, will you be with him when he comes back in that future day? Will you be with him descending from heaven to set up his kingdom on earth? Well, you will be if you make him your Messiah, your Lord, today. 
But with that, we're out of time. Until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stephen called that lesson, Tragedy in the Temple. I hope this time in God's Word encouraged you to keep God in the proper place in your life. This is The Wisdom Journey, and Stephen's taking you through the entire Bible with a new lesson each weekday. Stephen is also the pastor of the Shepherd's Church in Cary, North Carolina. Learn more about Stephen and our ministry at wisdomonline.org. Join us next time as we continue the wisdom journey.